It's lights out and away we go. Podcasting from Studio 2520. Somewhere near Akron, Ohio. This is Tackling the Chicane. Episode six. We're rolling. Now we are firing on all cylinders, I'd have to say. I hope the content has gotten a bit better. I think it has, probably. Hopefully. Or maybe we're just rambling into microphones. But uh, today, pretty straightforward episode. French Grand Prix happened not too long ago, so we're going to dive into everything you need to hear about the Grand Prix in France. And then, of course, we're going to get some box box, I presume. And then we're going to talk about some championship standings and the implications of the last Grand Prix. Chalk Talk makes its sophomore effort today. And then um, we're going to do part two of our Premier League preview. So, uh, pretty full episode. Before we get going, we do have Mail Time, edition number two. Excellent. So I'm putting you on the spot once again. And this one comes from friend of the pod, Austin Hansen, who I know somewhat decently. Um, she says, what are some of your inspirations and goals for this podcast? Last time we got mail, we were talking beer. Now we're going to get a little more spiritual. So I'm putting you on the spot. What do you have to say about this? Inspiration and goals for this podcast. Well, the goal of the podcast is to spend time with you and to share a mutual passion in both soccer and, and motorsport specifically F1. Um, inspirationally speaking, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not Would, sure what the inspiration is. Do you have is. any podcasts that you want to plug or that like you listen to? Oh, well, there's, there's several. Um, what, who inspires you when you listen to a podcast? Um, Spike's car radio is one. Um, that's, headed up by Spike Ferriston, who was a writer on Saturday Night Live and Seinfeld. Nice. Um, he's also a car guy. And, and, and if anybody pays any attention to Jerry, they know Jerry's a car guy. Mm-hmm. So Jerry and Spike have a podcast. Jerry's not on all the time, but Spike has a couple of other guys that are on the reg, one of them being the sticker head that uh zuckerman the zuckerman head Uh, i would say the other one that i listen to pretty much regularly would be the smoking tire and that's hosted by matt farah and both of those podcasts are probably multi-million dollar uh, (laughs) ventures yeah which we're rivaling those financial figures i would say Oh, that's good news. I, I was not aware of that. So Yeah, well, I'm just speaking in terms of the investment of our setup we have here. Probably pushing 100000 But uh 
comedy aside, I guess I'll answer my goals for this podcast. Like you said, you know, shared passion, spending time, quality time. But uh, I also want to spread the word about these two sports, you know, in an American-centric audience that I think we have. Um, I don't think F1 and uh, soccer are, you know, household stuff yet. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they are, but not like the other big sports. So just to give people an opportunity to hear a couple of guys that maybe aren't too serious about it or aren't like industry figureheads just talking, shooting the shit about it. Um, And obviously... I think you want to show me more about the motorsport realm, and I want to show you more about soccer. Um, Some of the podcasts that I like that are, I guess, inspiring, and I guess I'll plug to you if you want to try and listen to them, uh, would be the Total Soccer Show, hosted by Taylor Rockwell. Uh, That's kind of one of the long standing institutions of American soccer podcast got its start in like 2009 they're from Richmond Uh, one of the podcast hosts Daryl Grove the original sadly passed away a few years ago but the show carries on with a few other guys and they just make soccer very digestible I would say and then it's from an American lens so that's always nice um One other one I like to listen to a lot would be Ranks FC, and this is a British show. And what they do is they have a question or like a concept, and then they rank. The episode is based on these rankings, so like they'll rank like the best summer signings or the best, I don't know, Italian midfielders ever. So it's pretty interesting, but. Well, I guess if I want to re-reflect on what a potential goal might be is, you know, I I would like for family members to at least give it a listen. They don't have to listen religiously, but um, I think some have. And, uh, you know, I've got some friends that I would like to, to give it a listen. And I think as we progress uh, through episodes here, we're going to try to figure out a way to have um, some people on as far as calling goes. Um, we've got quite a few guys that I think of um, that would be interesting to, you know, just do like a 15, 10 or 15 minute segment with. So sure. that's another goal is to eventually have some other folks on. I know your older brother is going to be here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. It'll be after, after you're gone, but um, hopefully we'll have the, remote portion of this thing nailed down and that empty seat over there maybe your brother can sit in well that would be good yeah so that's that's a goal that i have but yeah great question austin thank you (laughs) all right that concludes mail time part two and uh now let's just get into the meat and potatoes of the episode let's talk a little french grand prix okay so i want to I will start the conversation by the first <laughs> the first thing I thought about when I watched this race, and I've got some stuff up on my screen here. 10.587 seconds 
was the interval between Mr. Verstappen and Mr. Hamilton. Uh-huh. And we continue to see this be a pattern this year where Red Bull puts themselves out 10, 12, 14, sometimes as much as 20 seconds ahead of the rest of the field. Now, I'm starting to understand the concern that some of the other team principals have. Are, are we going to find out later after 2022 that there was something awry with the Red Bull car? Or are we speaking, are we talking specifically about the fact that the, between the engineering and the driver that no one can touch this guy? That's, that's my question. Um, Thought-provoking. Um, I look at it more as a, a, a number of teams, but one in particular, has wasted many an opportunity to be winning races, getting podiums, and pushing Red Bull to the edge. Um, I don't necessarily, and I don't know if you're really assuming this, I don't think there's any foul play going on at Red Bull or anything. I just think Max Verstappen is the most talented driver. And then when your biggest competitor in Ferrari, you know, messes up every other weekend, it's kind of uh, business as usual for him. Well, this is a story that's being followed outside of Studio 2520 here. Several Instagram sites and several other F1 media outlets led with that story Sunday afternoon and Monday morning about the about how Ferrari has not been able to execute even though they have fast equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, just poor, it seemed, and I've got, obviously we're going to talk about <laughs> the penalty that uh, Carlos Sainz uh, was to serve and yeah. Did 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 Ferrari blow the fact that um they brought him in at the wrong time to serve that penalty? Mm-hmm. Obviously a lot of people feel that way. Um there's a couple of things I want to talk about related to Ferrari, that being one of them. The other one is, you know, Leclerc had his third retirement from the lead this year. Yeah. That's huge. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard enough to get out in the lead, but you then something seems to go wrong. Um, specifically, the throttle again, and I don't I don't know about you 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 give me your theory, but okay. I believe that the interview that he conducted after the race was scripted. I think that the throttle pedal was an issue. And I think they made him say that it was his mistake, and I I don't I think they're still having mechanical issues with that particular part of the car. Um, what say you? Okay. Um. The the headline of this race was Leclerc crashing. I think we just need to get this portion out of the way before we talk about other portions of the race because it's the headline, but. If you put on your tinfoil hat, which you have on right now, and you look at past results of this season, and 
not too long ago, maybe Austria when he essentially was milking his car to the finish. It does make a lot of sense to say, you know, this was probably another mechanical issue. And this interview was totally, like you said, scripted, or at least he was told what to say, which he probably was to a certain extent. Um, and we were watching together, and I had made that point. I think I want to digress. What's the word? I want to dial it back a notch on that opinion. Um, to me, I think he made a mistake on that turn. Um, and I, I had listened to another podcast talking about the race. And they were guys that I'm confident in saying know a lot more than me. And they they brought up an interesting, interesting point that Leclerc actually did make a mistake on that turn and send it into the wall. Why he was complaining about the throttle was because he tried to reverse out. He was trying to reverse out of that spin out before hitting the wall and the throttle didn't give at all. It didn't it didn't react. Now of course that for them is assumptions. We are kind of making assumptions that this was a mechanical issue. As in are you are you thinking the throttle got stuck or something which led to this spin out? I don't think it was a a one hundred percent throttle stuck to the floor. Mm-hmm. But in the previous race, they had throttle issues, and he spoke about very on the radio. He was very clear about the fact that he was having to lift the throttle, yeah, in order to get it, you know, to go back to zero. So that it's just interesting that he mentioned it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess it could go either way. The thing is, to in my mind, him having a mechanical issue makes a lot more sense than him wreck spinning out and putting it in the wall, especially on that turn. Well, that was the other observation was, and this was by the guys from Sky Sports that were calling the race, is in that particular portion of the corner, it's a very easy drive. Mm-hmm. It's not tricky it's pretty routine it's there isn't anything really that you have to pay much i'm saying i'm using this stuff these terms a little bit loosely but it's not a very challenging portion of the course yeah so in my mind if i had if i had to choose between a mechanical issue that they decided he they didn't want him to speak of and a pure mistake by that by Leclerc at that particular point in the race. I'm leaning towards the fact that there's an issue with the throttle pedal and they just they buried it. That's that's yeah. that's the way I'm I'm going. Now we'll see. If this never surfaces again and we don't ever hear anything about throttle pedals from this guy, mm-hmm. then maybe I can retract that. But something something tells me that we're gonna see or potentially have this pop up again in the future yeah what what's also interesting is he does in more post-race coverage say that you know he makes a mistake like you kind of said it could be scripted i it's really hard to say with these guys 
what is and what isn't true that's coming out of their mouths or what at least they actually feel. Um, but looking at the actual impact that that crash has on the rest of the race, I mean, pretty much changes the entire game. Of course, because we have the uh, virtual safety car. Mm -hmm. And apparently um, there was some miscommunication between uh, Checo and when the the virtual safety car well yeah that that instance is later in the race but yeah that that is right that he has so that virtual safety car was not the same one no as, because okay. remember Joe Guan Yu lap forty nine okay sits with the mechanical issue My so fault. we can talk about that later um if you just want to circle back to the start of the race there were two guys at the back of the grid. Uh, and not because of the way they qualified. That was Carlos Sainz and then Kevin Magnuson, both uh, with engine penalties that they knew they were taking, and they started the back of the grid. Um, and that did not last very long for either of them because within, like, the first lap, Kevin Magnuson was in 12th, and then, of course, Sainz was right up the, the field as well. So apparently this was a strategy call by those two teams based on the fact that the engineers thought this was the best race to take the penalty and and get into the fourth power unit, I guess, of the year. And from what I understand, you can you can change three power units per season before you get a before you have a penalty. Um and since they were both on their fourth, they have to, you know, do the start from the back of the pack thing. Yeah. Um, honestly, I I think it's more a case of these, the guys that are watching the parameters know we either change the power unit now or we, we send them out under the risk that they're going to grenade the one that's in the car. So. Mm -hmm. Apparently they thought it was best to start from the back versus risking the power unit that was in the car prior. Well, so. Carlos already grenaded one. So Yeah. But um in lap one, of course, with these standing starts, it always is chaos. And Esteban Ocon dumps off Yuki Sonoda in lap one basically effectively ending Sonoda's chance of being competitive. I don't know if you had anything on that in particular, but it was it was a pretty blatant penalty, so probably not a, a ton to discuss there, not very controversial in terms of whether whether it wasn't a penalty. Yeah, I I just had the the spin occurred. Um Let's face it, first lap stuff like that's going to happen almost every race. There's more times than not that something like that's going to occur versus a clean first lap. Yeah. I mean, he does basically just drive right into Sonoda, so. Yeah. Yeah. I when they're tight like that, going into the first or second turn, it's easy 
to sit back and watch on TV and say, oh, well, he didn't give him enough room or he had the, he had the line or that, that guy had the right, um, the line on the track and blah, blah, blah. But when, when it's a standing start and everybody's fighting for position like that, people are going to hit each other. But I raise you the question of is five seconds significant enough of a penalty after you just ruined someone's race? I, I personally don't think so. That's the same as an unsafe release in the pit box. You crashed into someone. Yeah, I, I don't know how the stewards decide the severity of that. If they look and, and if it was a mutual position issue, like maybe Sonoda didn't have the exact line that he thought he did, I, I don't know. That's a... That's that call's made by the stewards, and it, it it's different. It's like almost like a referee in soccer. It, it's a different call almost every time mm-hmm. that something like that happens. So, yeah. Um, later, like I don't know the exact lap, twelve or thirteen, right before the first safety car from Leclerc, Haas would pit Magnuson early. Um put on hards and he was in 12th of course they had no way of knowing a safety car was coming three laps later or whatever but that basically ruined any chance of points for Haas because Magnuson looked like he could have been in the top 10 and based off the fact that Lance Stroll scored a point I think that's very reasonable but the strategy I would say they pretty firmly messed up uh, for that race um, again, no way of knowing that a safety car was coming, but in hindsight, that didn't look very good. No, not a strong, not a strong performance from the Haas garage at all. Um, they just kind of floundered the whole day. Um, I don't, re- I don't recall at any point thinking, oh, well, they're really strong right now. They just kind of flopped around in the mid. To well, yeah. The strategy ruined Magnuson, I think, because he was strong in qualifying, despite the fact that he was going to be in the back of the grid. You also remember back to qualifying when Mick Schumacher went up to, like, 10th in Q1 and then the lap time got deleted. So the car is definitely racing. It's just a couple of things didn't go their way, and all of a sudden it's no points. So, yeah, I'm, they definitely did not take advantage of things that could have gone their way i don't think well the top the top 10 just got so spread out from the when the race leader is 10 and a half seconds away from the second place car yeah and then exponentially from position to position it's anywhere between seven and ten seconds in some cases it was more than that by the time you get down to 10th place the 10th place car lance stroll was a full minute plus yeah off, was, off the pace so again almost lapped yeah yeah um i just noted this down because i kind of like these pit stop things not didn't have a huge effect on the race but lap 16 max verstappen pits for hard tires and red bull pulls off a 2.4 second stop and I believe the fastest this year was 2.3 from Ferrari. So that was that was cool. And that's one of the things that people that 
don't watch F1 or had watched it for the first time or whatever, you're used to, I don't know, like a NASCAR, what, 15-second stop or whatever? Um, I haven't, you know what, I haven't watched a NASCAR race for a while, so I, I don't. I don't remember what a fast stop is. It, I, that sounds about I right. Mean, it, it, it's different because you're fueling and stuff, and it's yeah. a different kind of car. But yeah, but I I just don't think some people would realize how fast these pit stops are. Well, and they may think that that's not a big deal to change four tires in two and a half seconds, but. Anything can go wrong with, it's a center lug, you know, anything can go wrong. It can get cross-threaded, it can, you know, it. you really should watch those guys perform. You can tell they do it, they must practice hundreds of times a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, two and a half seconds is to do anything <laughs> that yeah. requires a car coming into the pits. It has to stop, they have to jack it up pull the tires off, put the new ones on, drop the car, get out of the way. I mean, it's that two and a half seconds. It's no time at all. It's yeah. no time at all. Yep. Um, later, shortly after that, is when Carlos Sainz gets his five-second penalty for an unsafe release. And that was one of those unsafe releases that was, like, actually unsafe because Albon is going to his pit box and Ferrari releases him and Albon has to slam the brakes, you know, like slam the brakes, smoking tires. And then there was also a uh, McLaren uh, mechanic who was out by his pit box and signs misses him by two feet, probably. So it's also interesting that I believe this is the only series that has that as a rule i've seen i've seen pits pit stops in other forms of racing where cars actually hit each other and yeah. there, there's no penalty per se yeah you just are a jackass yeah well it's i mean that's one of the things that i i struggle with with this series is they everything is manipulate not manipulated but every every aspect is ruled by by the FIA mm-hmm. so they decide if you came out of your pit box too early they decide if you made an unsafe release racing is racing you know yeah. so it's up to the guy who's coming in to be as aware of what's going on around him as the guy who's going out yeah, and but- if the guy who's going out is in the pit box in front of you, and, and or you're in the, hit the front of the pit box that he that he's in, and you're coming in the pits, and he gets out before you get to your box. Too bad. Yeah, I mean the mechanics are the ones that send them though, so it's really their fault, in my opinion, because how how is a driver? Carlos Sainz doesn't know that Albon's behind him. He's just worried about. There's the green light. I'm well, being told to go. I'm smashing the gas. Yeah. Well, that's it's a team sport, so the mechanics are part of the team, and if they make a mistake, you know, even though it might not be the driver's fault, that's part of the deal. Yeah. I, I mean, 
they have to adjust their strategy after that because of knowing that there's going to be a uh, um, a five-second penalty, and I, I really do think that costs him a podium. So we'll talk more about that in the potential strategy issues there. But, uh, I mean, Sainz was scrapping all the way up to fourth, starting 19. So, I mean, he, he, he I think he won driver of the day, so he really did well to get up the field. And we've seen him do that before. There isn't much question other than the ex- not the excuse, other than the reason that they made him take the penalty when they when they did is they said the tire degradation was an issue. Had they let him stay out and gain whatever time or position on track and then add the five seconds to the to the end of race time, I think he probably could have been on the podium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it's yeah. Apparently, I think so. they were they were concerned about. They didn't think the tires were going to make it till the end of the race, but yeah. Do you have anything? I don't know between signs unsafe release and then when uh, he gets called in to actually pit, like in lap forty-one. Anything of note to you? Not that I can think of. Admittedly, um, I went to go back and rewatch this race, and for some reason, they won't—they don't show the race again unless you record it. Yeah. So I can go on to ESPN Plus, and they'll have all the qualifying, all the practice, all the post-race. The actual race is not there. Yeah. Which makes no sense to me. But I really wanted to go back and rewatch it. Um, because I missed the first twenty yeah. laps or so when mm-hmm. we were watching it. Yeah, I think Sunday like morning lap, or whatever. Leclerc so. had just crashed. But yeah. Cable well not cable. Streaming and its benefits and cons, perhaps. But um yeah, so we talked about that uh decision to box Carlos signs. Uh the one interesting thing about that is that he tells them no I'm not going in when he passes Perez to go third. And that's the second time that he's kind of blatantly disobeyed to our knowledge the radio call. And that uh, that won him a race not too long ago. But I think the the real issue there was is he was in the middle of overtaking and the fucking guys on the pit box aren't paying any attention to what's actually going on on the on the track they're yeah. watching all this stuff on these screens and they they had no idea that he was in the middle of passing this guy yeah and they call they call him to the box and he's like no, no. not now not now yeah. just let me get around this guy then you can make then your call, and then we can talk it. about it. But yeah. in the one, in that one second where he's trying to get around the guy, it's like, you know, why? I, is... I think that's blatantly a case of a bunch of people on the pit box that aren't actually watching the race. They're watching the freaking telemetry. Yeah, you know, 
the one thing people should be aware of is the radio call is not exactly live of the action you're seeing. We don't know exactly what the delay was there. But regardless, when it showed up, it was when he was overtaking. Obviously, that's not right that second, but he was still, he had been battling and right on Perez's gearbox for like a minute before that anyways. So don't tell him to pit. And Ferrari, I can count a number of different times this season where they've just been just idiots. Their strategy has been horrible. And it's costing them points. It's costed them points this whole season. Obviously, when your car is not reliable is one thing. But what was it Monaco? One race, they send both of the Ferraris into the pits at the same time. Naturally, they screw up the first pit, and then Leclerc has to wait longer, and that messes up his race. It's just like big instances of that where it's like this this title this title race could be so much closer if their strategy team didn't mess up as often as they did because Red Bull I can tell you now have not messed up strategy to any level this season and there's a reason they're in first because Max gets the perf he get the strategies right for Max almost every time it's not right for Leclerc, and it's not. It seems to not be right ever for Signs because he, like I said, actively had to disobey them to get his first win, and now he's he's getting told to box when he's passing people. So they need to figure some shit out this off season because you're not going to win championships when you're making calls like that. If they lose their position in the constructors championship to Mercedes this year there will be replacements well there would have to made be. and and that it could be the team principal uh it could be you know several strategist people how but, long does it take for Ferrari to keep the same people in the seat when they haven't won a championship in over a decade and it's Ferrari yeah i don't know i do know that this it'll be interesting to see how they parse it out on the Netflix series because you know they're going to play up the fact that they can't do anything right this year. I mean, yeah, it'll probably be Hollywood. Well, yeah, but I'm still, yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's the biggest story of the season so far is that they have the they have the equipment, they just can't get their shit together. Leclerc has seven poles and well, I, three wins, I think. I shouldn't say they have the equipment, too, because they've they've had power unit failures left and right. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe just because you're fast, you know, that's not that's one element. Yeah. Speed is one element. Strategy and reliability is definitely the, you know, other two elements, and apparently the three aren't working together at this point. No. Um fastest car of the championship contenders the worst strategy team of the championship contenders the worst reliability and like you said if they lose to Mercedes which is not inconceivable 
people need to go. Heads will be rolling because Mercedes do not have a championship quality car at all. At all. I no, mean, but they're getting they're getting they're getting results. closer and closer. They are. But it's still the Red Bull's faster, the Ferrari's faster. The drivers for Ferrari and Red Bull, in my opinion, are better. So, really, there's no reason that Mercedes should take over Ferrari, but here we are where it shouldn't be close and it is. Verstappen leads Leclerc by 63 points in the Drivers' Championship. Mm -hmm. That's over. It's, in my opinion, that that's gap, gone. That gap is going to be really tough to try to, unless Red Bull has a string of bad races, which anything can happen, and yeah. even... Verstappen has alluded in post-race interviews, look, we'll get, we'll have our weekend where nothing goes right. That's yeah. just the way racing is. So I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that, you know, we're invincible. We will have our day when mm -hmm. all, when everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Um, if you just want, let's finish out the GP and then we can dive in more to these championship standings. Um, what really sets off the last big event is when Joe Guan Yu is out at lap 49 with the mechanical issue and that causes the virtual safety car for our friends at home who need a little refresher. Alfa Romeo's power unit is supplied by who? Ferrari? Yeah, so there's your answer to that um and so, so is that a uh is that an official powertrain failure i think that's about as official as it gets powertrain failure beautiful that's the content that people listen to this podcast for i hope so <laughs> but that sets off the domino effect of uh, Perez uh, sweeping at the wheel a little bit with um, the virtual safety car here. And I did have it noted correctly. I just don't have it in the right order. That's fine. Um, and I watched that a couple of times because I was trying to figure out what exactly had happened. But Perez says that he was told that the safety car, the virtual safety car was going to end when he got to corner number nine. And I don't know who makes that call or if it's somebody on the pit box that was telling him when the safety car was going to end. I mean, I imagine race control, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. But he, he claims that he was told it, that the safety car was going to end at turn nine. And actually it ended at turn eight. And you could see Russell... Russell laid back for like two or three seconds. He knew that the safety car was going to be finished and just gassed it. I yeah. mean, blew, blew, just blew by him like he was standing still. He didn't have a prayer after that. Yeah. It was, it was a case of Russell knowing or potentially Perez just falling asleep at the wheel. I guess we won't be entirely certain on that, but certainly George Russell um takes advantage of what was given to him and gets his podium finish because of that. So well, you 
unfortunate for Checo, but I mean, you gotta you gotta be on top of those things. Well, I Ferrari wasn't the only team with egg on their face after this race. Red Bull deserves as much egg as Ferrari for not being able to maintain your position when you clearly could have. Yeah. Mm. But I don't know. I we'll see if this pattern continues. Mercedes is starting to eerily appear yeah. out of nowhere. The thing is that they're not winning races. I don't think it this is a case of Mercedes um competing for this championship. I think they're racing for second at this point. The thing is Leclerc and Verstappen are the two best drivers right now and Leclerc tends to not finish races that often. So I I think Verstappen who wins this Grand Prix quite comfortably. Um I think he's going to be our champion this year and yeah, it is it is starting to get to the point where Mercedes I think is figuring some things out. Um but I I don't see an instance where a Mercedes is making it a fight for the championship. I'm not entirely sure. Do you think we're going to see a Mercedes win this year? Am I being too net negative on them, too down on them to say they aren't going to win a race this year? Um, Yeah. Okay. I think that they definitely have the potential. Um. Hamilton's dangerous. Obviously, Russell is dangerous. If things don't go well for Red Bull and or Ferrari, absolutely. And, and there, as I said before, Max Verstappen is wise enough to know that we'll have our weekend when, when shit doesn't go the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And Mercedes will be right there for the taking. I just don't think their car, like, in qualifying, they never really do particularly well, and I think that hampers them. Racing is a lot different, but I think it would take, you know, at least Red Bull and Ferrari, I think each of them would have to have a driver out of the race for a Mercedes win, which is possible, but I don't know. Well, this is like the mid point here of the Pretty season much. yeah we have hungary next week or this week i guess and then it's like their summer break yeah so they won't be back until the 26th of august in belgium yeah that's round 14 so hungary belgium netherlands italy one two three four five six there should be i think nine races yeah left. that sounds about right we've done that was round 12 of 21, I'm pretty sure. Looking forward to uh, the October race in the States here. Is that at Coda? I believe it is. Yeah. That's a, that's a good course. But So, um, yeah. Um, driver standings. We talked a little bit about, you know, the gap is 63 between first and second. Verstappen, 233. Leclerc, 170. Checo 163, then Sainz, Russell, Hamilton, Lando Norris, <laughs> of you're, all people. You're you're kind of a Lando Norris fanboy. 
picked up. I don't think I'm a fanboy, but he's pretty soundly in seventh place. I mean, he's way behind, 57 points behind. He's best of the rest. He's best of the rest, yeah. But yeah, strangely enough. Is any of your potential liking of him based around the fact that his first name is Lando, by chance? Maybe. I mean, I think it's a badass name, but. Could be. Maybe his parents were Star Wars fans. I don't. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, what do you think? Do you are you ready to make the call of Verstappen as your 2022 Formula One World Champion, or are we jumping the gun? Uh I'd like to see a few more races. Yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna catch him, but you never know. They, if they get hit the skids or something and have a bunch of horrible things happen. You know, it could be closer at the end, but no, I'm not going to crown anyone just yet. No crowning. I'm not going to crown either. I'm going to say at this point in time, we're probably looking at 90% chance of Verstappen repeating. On the constructor side, Red Bull is in first with 396 points, pretty comfortably at this moment in time. Second, Ferrari, 314, with Mercedes in third, with 270. Do you think Mercedes will catch Ferrari? I pose that question to you. Um, I think they have a shot. Not sold on it, though? No. Me either. But I think they have a, they have a shot. I think we talked about this before. The constructor battle is t- in the top three everyone else yeah i mean it's, it's i mean the mid pack might change but... well i'm looking at this battle that's been going on for a few weeks now between alpine and mclaren this is pretty good stuff yeah and they're four points away from each other so and i think both of them last week or at france were both double points and obviously Al- alpine alpine has presented themselves very well the last several races yeah th- so. they've looked very strong i would tip them i think they're headed the right direction i think mclaren is on a bit of a downward trend they're still scoring points but i not at the rate of alpine alfa romeo have not done anything for like three or four weeks it feels like i mean yeah they've just they've, they've just, just been, been duds. around yeah they've they've it's been dud after dud I think the buzz, Haas, <laughs> we're feeling pretty good here for a while. I think that bubble had to burst a little bit because it's Haas. Um, no points this weekend. The car looked good, but a couple of things. 17 points out from Alfa Romeo. Yeah, so that's not entirely. I mean, Alfa Romeo is not racing well recently, but Haas are just never consistent either, so it's. Who knows? Well, they're young. They're a young team still, and um, it'll be interesting to see if the U.S. can field another team. I don't think it'll be as early as next year, but maybe in twenty twenty four. I don't like those odds. No, no. I think it's an e- I, inevitability. Have, I, think, I think the FI. FIA has to give the United States at least another team. If we're going to have three races here. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen in even the near future, in my opinion. 
I don't know. Like three or four years. I don't, Maybe I don't, I'll dig into it. some strategy on the the if there's any you know talk or scuttlebutt about what the chances are of the United well, States getting another here, team. I've read up on this. There is scuttlebutt. It's Mario Andretti, and the chances right now are zero because no team wants to split up the prize pool, for one. I'm not entirely sure if Andretti is going to have the infrastructure to actually be competitive. Um, and another thing did is... You, did you notice at, the, at Mid-Ohio who had the most yes. shit? Okay, well, I feel like that's a bit of a, a fallacy because most of the IndyCar teams do not operate on a, a third of the budget of Andretti. But, yeah, I mean, Andretti, I think, is the the heir to the American throne here, but well, I, let me I just pose, don't see it let happening me pose this anytime question. soon. If, if it's a case of limit limiting the series to 10 teams which is stupid yeah then how come why, why does red bull need two because red bull has money well they have infinite money they print money basically same for mercedes same for ferrari here's the thing formula one if if a team is going to be added it is going to be a, a constructor a, a make of a car. It's not going to be Mario Andretti. It's going to be a BMW or a Porsche or Well, it can be that but that can be funded by Andretti Autosport it, or Andretti it could, F1. But Andretti is not the brand. No one not, I if, think you're I if think the BMW comes into F1, think of the merchandise that's going to be sold. Andretti well, wouldn't make half of that. BMW Somebody is going to have to partner with Andretti Autosport. He's not going to have a bespoke. Yeah, I know he's engine. not going to build his own car, but no. It, Williams it's, it's was not making BMW. What when Williams was a BMW car, they were they were immensely popular. Yeah, I just don't see Mario Andretti being the answer to the American thing. Well, he has a legacy in F one. He does, albeit sixty years ago. It just. But, I just uh, the main thing is the money. These teams that are in right now don't want to lose money. Cuz even if you're Williams running in 10th, you're still making a hell of a lot money than more money than you would if another one or two teams came in. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I guess only time will tell. Nice yep. little tangent there, but I think it's time for your my box box. Time. Yeah. See if we can get this to play. All right. Today's box box segment is going to uh, the subject. Subject is one that I've mentioned before. Uh, I am not a fan of the wheel covers yeah. that are on these cars. I think they're hideous. I think that the beauty of, of the wheel that was on this car prior to these, these covers is it's a shame that we can't see 
anything but a plastic hubcap, basically, and I think it looks friggin' ridiculous. Well, let's. Why don't you immerse our audience in your disdain for these things? So, believe it or not, Ferrari, as early as 1990, experimented with these covers, and the reason why they started using them is because they they figured out that they could direct airflow to cool the brakes by using these covers they were ducted and they they realized that they could decrease the temperature of their brakes by by using these covers and basically you know directing air around the brake assembly back in the 90s okay all right the uh other teams caught on and in 2006 they got extremely popular but they weren't sanctioned by the FIA that was just a team thing mm-hmm. and at that point um, each team had a specific contract with a wheel builder okay so a manufacturer of the wheel each team had their own contract with the wheel builder and then you know each one decided that they were going to design these specific covers which were banned in 2010 and the early versions of note were a stationary design so the cover actually didn't rotate in this latest version which is started this year and it it was an FIA sanctioned uh, change and basically what the FIA said is you shall all use the same wheel manufacturer, which will be BBS, which is a pretty famous manufacturer of racing wheels, if you're not aware of that. And you shall all run these sweet plastic wheel covers. Now, it's I'm certain that most of the teams have figured out a way to, to make to make them advantageous in the same way as they were before. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time in the history of the FIA, though, that everybody has the same wheel, and it has to do with the the, uh, capping of, you know, the costs for each team. Um, Why, Why did they make everyone run with these covers? I think they're trying to... So the early versions of these covers also aided by direct by directing airflow. You not only cooled the brakes, but the engineers figured out a way to bring tires up to temperature by ducting hot air in the right places through the wheel, and it would bring the tire temperature up faster mm-hmm. because they were directing hot air. Imagine if they had even just put fins on the inside of these wheel covers. And just through rotation, they could direct that hot air out and through the wheel and then eventually through the tire. So it heated the tire up faster. So I think they they brought these back to mitigate that. And as long as they're as long as they're an uh, FIA sanctioned design, they can make it so that it doesn't give you the advantage of heating the tire mm-hmm. somehow. The point is, they are hideous and ugly. 
Yeah. And jokingly, McLaren, I guess, was going to run LED lights in, in theirs and cha- and do different designs and, and things, but uh, they were they were told no. Damn. I I feel like that's a Daniel Ricardo idea of just let's well it pink LED lights. It's on not a things. parade float. It's an F one car. I think that'd be kind of funny. Taking so, the piss, if you will. But yeah, so there there is a function. Uh, they've been around a long time. They were outlawed, you know, in 2010. But then the FIA decided, well, everybody's going to run the same wheel, and now you're going to run this cover too because we we. We don't think that you should be able to engineer your wheel cover to give you an advantage uh, of heating up your tires or changing, you know, potentially changing tire temperature with your with your wheel covers. So, I I think too, this is total not totally off the subject, but I've heard that in 2023 there won't be any tire blankets either. Actually, that is true. I've heard that. So on the broadcast a number of times. We will we will probably dissect that at some point in the off season. Yeah. That that that's actually a pretty big deal. But um in the meantime, just know my co host, not a fan of these covers. If you're watching F one listeners, pay attention. You will not like them either. Well, I think that's time to shift gears as we have discussed what we needed to for this portion of the episode and I'm shifting gears into chalk talk we're going from one explainer to the next and this one was actually inspired by a real life conversation I had with you the other day and you mentioned having interest in buying a jersey of your favorite crew player Aiden Morris and you said to me I didn't realize they were called kits and I said yeah that is what a soccer uniform is called a kit so we're going to talk more soccer slang that I think you'll hear quite often and I'm going to explain the meanings essentially so the uniform is the kit which we have discussed, um, pretty simple. Um, usually the jersey, uh, this is like a British thing, but we would call, what we'd call a jersey, they just call a shirt or like a top, but you just hear them called shirts. Um, another thing you will hear on a broadcast or just when people are talking ball is they'll call it uh, the uniform the strip. That's a nice strip they have on. Um, moving down the uniform, a cleat in America, which I think is a weird word, but those would be the boots. Those are the boots in the UK, or you'll pretty much hear any soccer commentator call it the boot. Um, another basic one, instead of a shutout, it's called a clean sheet. So when a goalkeeper does not concede a goal in a game, it's a clean sheet, not a shutout. And that's one of those things that 
I think is more of like a soccer thing in general. And it bothers me that a lot of MLS broadcasts will call, will mention how many shutouts the goalkeeper has. And that, I don't know, that just irks me a little bit. Um, another one is instead of a flop, like in basketball, when Le- LeBron flops around, it's a dive. A lot of diving tends to happen in soccer. Two goals. Three goals, obviously, is a hat trick. That's a term used in lacrosse, hockey, pretty much any sport with goals. A brace is two goals. So Cucho Hernandez had a brace against D.C. United. So is it fair to say that a hat trick originated in European football since they were playing in the 1800s, and I don't think there were sanctioned hockey teams think, until the early 1900s. Uh, well, I think the term hat trick is yeah, like a British thing, so it moved its way westward with professional sport and Europe, European colonization, I suppose. Um, one that I like to use a lot, just in everyday life, is the howler. A howler is a large, usually defensive error made by a keeper. Um, when a keeper has a howler, it's like when um, Eloy Room goes up for a ball and somehow throws it into his own net type of deal. Uh, I feel like a howler in America, like people don't use it, but it would be to describe like a banging party or something or as a howler in the UK, is not a good thing. A screamer, on the other hand, is a good thing. A screamer is a goal that's usually from long range and is hit with ferocious power, I guess. So screamers are good, howlers, bad. Will we hear these terms uh, in regular broadcasts? Yes, you will hear all of these in the regular broadcast. You also hear the term sitter, and this also has to do with goal scoring. Usually it's when someone misses a sitter, which is like a close-range goal that should be converted and they miss. You've missed a sitter. Um, And then the last one here, just some basic soccer slang a worldie is like an amazing goal basically that like will win awards or will be remembered in 20 years time you've just scored a worldie so just just little stuff like that that you'll pick up on the more you watch the game and some of it's regional a lot of it's you know most soccer that you consume will have British announcers, so you'll just hear these terms thrown around quite a lot. But I think it's it's good to know, especially ones like Brace. I didn't know when I first started watching. Some of the things you'll just have to Google or just kind of learn what they mean. So I figured we'd get some of the easy ones out of the way. Very nice. Excellent. Yeah. I think next time we'll get a little more tactical... But this time I just want to keep it light with the soccer terminology. But um, we're going to dive back in to our Premier League preview here because the season is now just 
two weeks away. It starts on Friday, August 5th. And listeners, if you don't know, last episode we went through the first half of the Premier League in alphabetical order and just did a little preview of them, um, where they finished last season, who they're managed by, a key signing over the summer, and then their geographic location within England. Um, And then I also, if I felt necessary, um, would give a little more information on them, just to give it a little more color. So without further ado, we're going to start with Leicester City. And last season they finished in 8th place, which was a little disappointing for them because in the couple seasons prior they finished in 5th. And they, the Premier League has sort of like in Formula 1 where it's like the top 3 and kind of everyone else. The Premier League has the big 6. And then it's kind of like the best of the rest. Obviously there are times when teams break that up. But um, Leicester City has gained this reputation of being kind of like that best of the rest team. Um, in 2016, they won the Premier League. Um, and at the beginning of the season, the bookmakers gave them 5,000 to 1 odds to win. So that was a big deal. Um, they're managed by Brendan Rodgers who has managed Liverpool, who we're going to talk about next. He's managed Celtic up in Scotland. Their key signing is literally no one because they haven't signed anyone this summer, which is a little worrying if you're a fan of the Foxes um, because last season was a little disappointing and they haven't seemed to do anything to strengthen their squad. Um, And their geographic location within England is in the town of Leicester, which is in the East Midlands region, which is, you know, kind of just the middle of the country. So there you go. That was Leicester City. I have, uh, next, Liverpool. All right, the Reds. What do you have for us? Uh, last season, they finished second, I believe. That is correct. Uh, manager is Jurgen Klopp. Yes, that is correct. And he is what? He's German, believe it or not. Gotcha. Um, geographic location is Anfield, which is just northeast of Liverpool proper. So that must be a little burb or borough. Little, little, yeah, little borough. Anfield is also the name of their stadium. Correct. Uh, key signing for them is attacking forward Darwin Nunez, signed from Benfica in Portugal. Um, and he was kind of, he bursted onto the scene last year and made his name with good performances in the Champions League. And then um, he, he kind of is the answer to Manchester City signing Erland Holland. Um, Liverpool and Man City have been duking it out the past like four seasons, basically, in the Premier League. And I would say, once again, they are the two where you could flip a coin, basically, on who's going to win the um, title this year. Um, because last season, Man City won, uh, I think, by one point. It was a final day, one or two points, final day decision. Um, and that happened in 2018 and 19 as well. Okay, yeah, one point again. 
Um, and in 2018 and 19, it was also decided by one point. So these teams are definitely the best, and I think it will be either the Reds of Liverpool or the Blues, the Sky Blues of Manchester City winning. And that leads us in to Manchester City, my favorite club, my club of choice. Um, last season they finished first, their second consecutive uh, Premier League title, and I believe four out of the last five. Yeah, four out of the last five titles they've won, managed by Pep Guardiola. He's a Spaniard, had a great playing career for Barcelona, took over that job, won a bunch of trophies, and uh, fast forward and finds himself, I believe, in his sixth season, sixth or seventh season with Manchester City, and it's only been success. He, he's one of those guys that kind of just wins wherever he goes. Their key signing, Erlen Holland, um, attack. He's a striker who is probably either him or Kylian Mbappe of PSG will be the next great um, duo of players similar to a Messi and Ronaldo. Um, if I'm being completely honest here, I think Manchester City will win the title again, putting bias aside. I think on paper... Um, they have the best squad, and they've only strengthened it. Um, and, of course, their geographic location is Manchester. But on the other side of town stands another club that you have next here. Um, what is the name of the stadium that Man City plays in? Uh, for sponsorship reasons, it's the Etihad Stadium. Um, and that would be because they are owned by a uh, Arab um, oil syndicate, uh, somewhat um, what's the word controversially because they tend to spend a lot of money. But that's for another time. Uh, you'll soon find out a lot of these clubs are ran operated by somewhat shady characters. But that's just the way it goes. Okay. Well, I have, um, ironically, Manchester United. And I want to ask a question. Having not known much about soccer up until we started the show, had you have heard of Manchester United before? Because I feel like you've had to at least heard the name before. Probably on some promos, watching you know, TV or whatever. Did you did you just know of their existence before I started watching or not really? Probably not. Not not particularly. I, I mean guess... I, I remember watching you know sports channels and having commercials come on for yeah this stuff. But... I only ask that because at the turn of the millennia when the Premier League was being broadcast to American homes on a wide wide scale for the first time Manchester United was winning titles left and right so they're probably the most popular team um, but I'm going to let you talk about them a little bit here uh, last season 6th uh, place finished and uh, they had 
several managers listed yeah. un- under their profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Carrick. Yeah, he was an interim manager after they sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And then now is it Ralph? Ralph is gone. Ralph Ranick is gone. Okay. It is Eric Ten Hag who just took over. Um, key signing for them would be the Lissandro Martinez from Ajax. Um, where, are th- where are they located? Uh, the stadium is Old Trafford. 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 Uh-huh. And they are southwest of Manchester proper. Yeah. Um, Man City fans like to give them a little, a little trouble saying they're not actually from Manchester. Um, Old Trafford is nicknamed the Theater of Dreams. It's the largest stadium in the Premier League. It holds about 70-plus thousand. Um, they've kind of been a dumpster fire recently in Manchester United. Their last title was in 2013, which is, by their standards, very poor, similar to, like, a Ferrari. Um... They're just not a very well-ran club. Let's just say that. And I, I don't expect it to get too much better this year. Eric Ten Hag is a forward-thinking coach that a lot of people like. But right now, they, they've got a lot to do to get back to winning championships. And I like I said, I think it's um, Man City and Liverpool. It's their game. Moving on. To Newcastle United. Last season they finished 11th. They're managed by Eddie Howe, who once managed or managed for quite a while Bournemouth, who we talked about in the last episode. Their key signing, uh, Sven Boltman, um, from the French league, and they are located in Newcastle, which is the most northern of the Premier League teams in the northeast of England. Um, Newcastle last season were taken over. New ownership by a, a Saudi consortium. And it basically makes them the most wealthy team in this league. And when you have a lot of money to spend on good players, it's almost inevitable that you're going to be competing for titles within a few years. So this season is the first full year, but like kind of season two with this new um, ownership group, and they they have a lot of money to spend. I would expect them to finish higher than 11th this year. Um, And under their former ownership of Mike Ashley, they uh, were kind of sucked dry. Probably the most, um, maybe not, loyal, I don't know if that's the right term, but probably the best fan base of any of the Premier League teams. And I like their badge a lot. Um, but yeah, that Newcastle United, a team to look out for if you're just getting in to this league because I think they're going to be very entertaining this season. And they play in... Uh, St. James's Park, mm-hmm. which is one of the more impressive stadiums in the Premier League. Next up, Nottingham Forest. Yep. And I had to look twice to be sure that I was looking at the right team because I don't see a last season finish. It says 1998. 
1999? Uh, that was the last... I, I think that was the last time they played in the Premier League. They were promoted this season through the playoffs from the championship. So, yeah. It says 20th, but that was almost 20. Yeah, so that I mean years that's ago. when they were relegated. But Nottingham Forest are a big club. They actually have won a European title. So, I think they're getting back to better times. What do you have on that? Lots of managers listed. Mickey Adams, Ron Atkinson, and Dave Bassett. So I think those would have been guys from their last season in the Premier League. So I don't recognize those names. Their current manager is Steve Cooper. Um, and he is, if you look up pictures of him, probably the most profoundly British-looking man I've ever seen in my life. I'll just let me let me just flash this picture over to you. <laughs> he's he's not much of a looker. He's got some uh, <laughs> interesting chompers, a receding hairline, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he looks like some guy bellied up at the pub that you'd see. But any, anyways, that was a completely random tangent. But yeah, they're from Nottingham, which is in the Midlands. Uh, like I said, huge club, big fan base, a lot of history. Um, just coming up, I don't really know what to expect from them because I haven't followed them closely ever. Um, but they just signed Jesse Lingard, who played for Manchester United for a while. So I, I, if you had to tip a team to go back down, it would probably be probably be them but who knows anything can happen next we they, have well well they play at the city ground the city ground which is southwest of nottingham one of those very i think is built in the 1800s so a very old and historic ground and interestingly their crosstown rivals knotts county which is the oldest I think it's the oldest professional football club ever. I could be making that up, but I know it's one of the oldest. They play in the fifth tier now, but they are separated from Nottingham Forest by, like, basically they're across the street. The two stadiums are, like, across the street from each other. So one of the cool things about, you know, club soccer in Europe is that they're not franchises. So cities will have a bunch of clubs, and they're all really close. Huh. Um, next, we have Southampton. Last season, they finished 15th. They're managed by Ralph Hassenhutel, who is an Austrian. Their key signing is Joe Aribo, for me at least, Joe Aribo from Rangers. And I actually know quite a bit about this player because I watch a lot of the Scottish League. Joe Aribo, a midfielder that was pivotal in taking Rangers to the Europa League final last season. Good with the ball at his feet. Very creative. A, a big physical presence as well. So very good signing. Shrewd business. You'll see a lot of teams, especially lower in the Premier League table, buying players from the Scottish League because they don't go for... They, they don't tend to have very expensive uh, transfer fees. In Southampton, are located in the south of um, south of England, 
kind of like a coastal town near Portsmouth. So they they are usually pretty fun to watch when they do have a tendency to get battered once a year by like an obnoxiously large scoreline. They've lost two nil or excuse me, not two nil, nine nil, um, twice in three years. So look out for a, a possible Southampton blowout this season. Um, next up, is it Tot Tottenham? Tottenham. Tottenham. Yeah. Hotspur. And they are more colloquially known as Spurs. That's pretty much all people will call them, or Tottenham, I guess. But Spurs is what you would usually hear them referred to as. Finished last season fourth. Mm-hmm. And the manager that is down on the sheet here is one person's, one name. There, It's Richarlison? Oh, I put that. Okay, Richarlison was their key signing, and I put that in the wrong place. Oh, okay. Richarlison is a Brit- Brazilian striker that they signed from Everton. Um, their manager is um, Antonio Conte, who has won Premier Leagues with Chelsea before. Very successful Italian manager, has won Italian championships. Um, and he took over for a different manager last season after he was fired and led them basically from like 13th all the way to fourth, which is the champions league spot. So he did pretty well. And, um, where are they located? Uh, I know they play in, say that again, Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur stadium, which is basically brand new and probably the most impressive stadium. But they do not have a Google map on their profile. So. Okay, they're a they're a North London club. They're one of the eight or so London clubs in the Premier League this year. Interestingly, um, you know how the NFL has those games in London. They play them at Tottenham Stadium. So quite well, not really that interesting, I guess. But that's where the NFL sets itself up. Well, at. it seems to me like. The, the the British love the fact that the NFL comes. Yeah, I, I it's hard to say because the British are strange in that they are the first to make fun of Americans, but also the first to inject all of our culture right into their bloodstreams at all times. <laughs> I know they show up for those football games or else they, they started, I think they have, two maybe three yeah yeah a year so there's a reason why they go over there yeah so that that's what spurs tend to have to deal with sometimes is that the nfl is in their backyard Uh, moving on to another london club our penultimate team of this premier league preview west ham last season they finished seventh in their manager is scott's Scott David Moyes, I guess that was confusing. He's from Scotland. Um, and their key signing would be Nayef Aguerd, who's a center back from the French League. And I believe they are in the east of London. I know they're a London club for sure. And they play at the London Stadium, which was the host of the uh, 2012 Olympics. And um, so it's it's a 
fairly new stadium. Um, a lot of the fans don't like it because it was configured for track and field, so you're kind of really far from the pitch. And they also had to tear down their old ground, which had a lot more atmosphere and history. But they've actually started to make it, you know, their home. I think West Ham have the best color scheme in the league. It's the same, I guess, as Aston Villa, claret and blue, very sharp uniforms. I like it a lot. Um, I feel like I was going to say something else about them, but um, they have this thing where they walk out to bubbles. (laughs) I don't know. I had listened to an episode about why they do that, and I can't remember the story now. But um, West Ham are credited as winning the World Cup for England in 1966 because three of England's best players at the time were playing for West Ham. So big big club, big historic roots. Um, pretty enjoyable team overall. But you're going to conclude our little preview here. Yes, the uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a club that finished 10th last year. Yep. Managed by Bruno. Bruno Lage. Lage. Portuguese. Um, I think this is the team that you said was owned by uh, Robert Palmer. Or, uh, no. Robert Plant of Robert Led Zeppelin Plant. is a fan. He's a fan. Oh, I thought you said he he owned the club. No, no, no. I he He's a big fan of uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Okay. Uh, key signing for them, Nathan Collins, um, and they are from Birmingham, I'm pretty sure. Wolverhampton is like the borough. Right, and is it Molyneux Stadium? Mol- Molyneux, yeah, the Molyneux Stadium. Um, a good ground, and there's always a great atmosphere. I like Wolves badge. You weren't a huge fan of their badge, you said. No, I, I don't know. It's... Maybe, how long have they been a team? A uh, hundred plus years. Has it always been that? It's been that for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Well, it just obviously. doesn't seem to have this. It doesn't have the same. Uh, it doesn't have a style. lot of the intricacies of some of the other badges, you know. But yeah, they they play in um, old gold is the name of the color, so they tend to have pretty sharp home uh, kits, if you will. But um, that does it for the Premier League preview. And are, are, is the hype building for you a little bit here? <laughs> August 5th is when this all kicks off. Yeah, um, I'm def- you're definitely going to have to uh, outline some stuff to watch. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we'll continue following the crew. They, do they have any notable games coming up? Um. I'm, they play, but I don't think there's anything that I feel is podcast-worthy. Next, this upcoming week, is the beginning of the Scottish Premiership, and I want to discuss some of those games in the next podcast, specifically Rangers or Livingston versus Rangers and then Celtic versus Aberdeen. So I think we're going to make a point to watch those games this weekend and discuss that. Um, so we have, we have some soccer games in particular to talk about next week, along with the Hungarian Grand Prix. Excellent. Yes. We're off to Hungary, the 29th 
through the 31st of July, and then that will lead us into the official F1 summer break. Yeah, so we'll definitely make take that time to talk a lot of footy, but uh, don't fear for some of you racing heads out there, there'll be plenty of uh, stuff to chat about on here. Well, all right. We're ready to get out of here? Yep, I think it's uh, time yeah, to that time. shut her down. And we're we're having a little having a little technical issue over here. All right, take three. Take three. The, the third time we are trying this outro. Okay, let's get out of here. <laughs> For Richard Tanaka. I'm Bob Lucius. I'm Garrett Lucius. You're listening to Tackling the Chicane, Studio 2520. Copyright 2022. We will see you later.